You're listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast here on the BQN and the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kelvin, and with me today, it's Mark, Amy, and Christos. Hello, hello. Full house, guys. We've not had everyone here for ages. Mark, how are you? Where have you been? Oh, I've been out sticking it to the man. Uh, no, I was hosting with Andy, actually, and... Um, we uh, we went looking yesterday, um, and so today we're, we're taking a little bit of a break. So I am here to record with you guys. Well, we certainly missed you, and we hope the house hunting is going very well. You have shown me some pretty weird and sometimes scary houses, and then some amazing <laughs> ones, too, with great yards and pools. I know the yard mm. is important for you and Murphy. Yes. Amy, house things in Vegas? Doing well, had a, another wonderful Trek family member come and visit me. So good to see Elaine up from San Diego area. We went and saw Barry Manilow. And then the next night I went and saw Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, the comedy act. And that wow. was quite fun. So I've been busy. I, you know, I have never seen an entire episode of Saturday Night Live so I'm sure some of the jokes like, you know, went over my head, but they were still funny. It was an enjoyable show. And Christos, how's your week been? It's been a very busy, I will say, this has been the most non-Trek week I've probably had in, dare I say, years. I, wow. I, have, been, I have been enthralled in the new Barbara Streisand autobiography. So I have not been listening to podcasts. I've not been like, watching a lot of tv or anything so it's kind of weird to be kind of and i'm actually been listening to a little bit more music because the autobiography is getting me into the music mood so it's been i guess you know lower decks went on hiatus just in time oh yes <laughs> well we will forgive you and we'll lasso you back into the world of star trek for uh, for the next I'm hour here. what's going on with you how are you okay. doing how you do? Thank you. <laughs> I am good. I am good. The nights are drawing in here in the UK. It's dark, it's cold, it's wet, and it's all just about hibernation mode, settling down for winter. Um, and yeah, very all, all is good. I've not been doing too much traveling for work either. That's been nice. Been doing a lot of working from home in the office. So yeah, just lots of quality time with James. Oh, perfect. Lovely. We're going to try something new today, so let's kick off with a new feature. Great joy and gratitude. So, we've decided in the world that we find ourselves at the moment that's full of war, and misery and cost of living crisis and all sorts of negativity we just want to start the show with a little bit of great joy and gratitude and just do a round table of something that we're particularly joyful for 
in the world of Trek this week. So, Amy, do you want to kick us off? Well, sure. Uh, again, as I mentioned, Elaine came in, a wonderful Star Trek friend of mine. And after the concert, we were just sort of hanging out at the casino and they had a live band playing. And so we hung out there, was dancing and, you know, of course, talking to people. Came across some people who like heard of Trek and knew enough of the right words. Oh, yeah, Spock. Um, but the person that they were with, you guys, she had her ears surgically created like Spock and they were to a point and it cost her $15,000 and she's had it for like five years. Um, she's more into elves, but in my mind, they were Spock ears. <laughs> so that was pretty impressive to see someone actually alter their ears to have the Vulcan point. She got miniature schnauzer. It's quite extreme. <laughs> I know, it right? It and she dedication. Perfect, but it just was like seeing out there in the wild someone that's dedicated. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. How about you, Christos? What's brought you joy? Well, it was just like actually perfect timing because I kind of had my very non-trek week, as I said, but I was at a party last night talking away with my friends, not talking about Star Trek. And I start to overhear these two gay men imitating a hypothetical fight between Kate Mulgrew and Jerry Ryan on the set of Voyager. And I'm like, ditched my friends. I said, I have to go talk to these people. And I think we have some new listeners. <laughs> I was telling them about the podcast on the BQN. So um, yeah, how random to be at an autumn party in La Mesa, which is a suburb here in San Diego and have Two dramatic gay men talking, and like I said, one doing Kate, one doing Jerry, and quite well, I thought. The guy who was doing Kate Mulgrew was really a little over the top, which is exactly how we would expect that to go. <laughs> how fun! It was. That's hilarious. How random for you of all people to bump into them as well. <laughs> oh, I know. And, and, and my friend's like, oh, here we go. Christos is gone for the rest of the night, so we just lost him. <laughs> And Mark, I know we've sprang this on you at a moment's notice, but uh, spread some joy amongst the listeners. Oh, that's easy. Uh, the last couple episodes of Lower Decks were fantastic. Uh, and they have brought me quite amount of joy and, and gratitude. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love the, the cameos and the twists and... Uh, the storytelling, uh, the voice acting, it was all superb, and uh, I'm looking to looking forward to seeing where they they go next season. But I think they ended on maybe one of their strongest notes to date, actually. So very pleased. Absolutely. Well, my joy and gratitude this week might bring a lot of horror to some people, depending how purist you are. But I put my Christmas tree up today which is always uh, brings a lot of attention on social media. But my joy is I, I got out the, the Hallmark Christmas ornaments that I collect. And obviously there's new ones every year. So this year's is the original Enterprise with the hand of Apollo holding it. And uh, Badgie as well. You get the two for one. So if you buy Badgie, you get the, the smiley happy one and the evil Badgie as well. So he's joining the fleet. <laughs> And they're all up on display. And 
you have a look over on my social media, uh, you will uh, see the tree in all its glory with all the starships on there. So yeah, that's my joy for the week. Yeah, my mother already sent me the Enterprise with the hand for my birthday, so I already have that. So Aww. I need to get badgie though. Mm-hmm. So your tree topper is one that I feel is gorgeous and unique. I haven't seen it. It's not the typical enterprise. You have it. It's like this beautiful red glittery with the, and it's a red chrome enterprise and it's the star topper. It's gorgeous and beautiful. Thank you. It's just a regular run of the mill, right? uh, A hollow star that is like a rose glitter, as you said. And we have suspended one of the hallmark. I think it was the 50th anniversary convention exclusive. It's the Enterprise. Uh, and it's like it's flying through the middle of the star. Yeah. We put that on every year. It's lovely. It I is. thought you were, for a hot second, Amy, I thought you were going to describe the Red Angel. Oh. <laughs> but that's where you were going. I was like, what? That's kind of deep, that's but maybe appropriate. Funny. But maybe appropriate. Yeah, some people put angels as their uh-huh. tree toppers. The red. Oh my gosh, that's funny. That would, that, that's how you make a trek. Christmas tree. <laughs> Michael Burnham's mother. <laughs> Michael Burnham saves Christmas. Oh my Absolutely. gosh. Yep. <laughs> it's going to be like the I, Star I, Wars holiday episode. <laughs> I would be touched to tears. I may cry. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, listeners, um, in a change to our advertised uh, schedule, we are going to continue with our Man versus Machine series this week. However, we've switched out the episode. We have decided to bring you a very special episode today, and we're going to look at DS9's Bar Association. And that's because we want to mark the conclusion of the SAG-AFTRA actress strike Uh, paying tribute to the rights, diplomacy, and industrial action by reflecting on this very special DS9 episode. So previously covered in the series, we've had the original series, The Ultimate Computer, The Next Generations, The Nth Degree, uh, Dead Stop from Enterprise, Project Daedalus from Discovery, and Lower Decks were Pleasant Fountains Lie. So we're putting the Deep Space Nine piece into that little puzzle there. So... Would someone be so kind as to give us a little synopsis of what happened in Bar Association? So, following a drop in pay and working conditions, ROM forms a union among the staff of Quark's Bar and Restaurant, a huge taboo in Ferengi society, in fact, major, as we'll discuss, which attracts the attention of Brunt, FCA. Uh, I'm like totally reading, but doing my own thing here. Brunt, FCA, because that's how I always talk about him the Ferengi Commerce Authority, for those who don't follow DS9 as closely, um, who wants to make an example of Quark for this uh, uh, this terrible situation. And so the question will be, who will come out on top? So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's definitely a Ferengi episode. It is. It is. And what you would think immediately is a comedy episode, but it really isn't. It's actually quite dark in places, this episode. Mm-hmm. So clearly, this is Deep Space Nine's industrial action strike episode. Uh, and as we've just said, um, the strike uh, with the actors and the writers is now at its conclusion. And we get to back to business as usual. So 
I thought it might be nice to start our conversation with just our own personal reflections on industrial action or strikes. And and I wonder, as have any of us here have ever been on strike in your uh, profession, in your role, or any of your family members? Have you got a, a like like Miles O'Brien does? Have you got a, a family and ancestry of strike action? Amy, I'm surprised um, you've not been on strike being a, being a teacher. They, they teachers are always on strike in the UK. Well, kudos to them. Um... Yeah, we, it's illegal. Um, I know you're sort of put that later in the, the discussion, but out of the three states that I have taught in two of them, it is illegal for uh, teachers to go on strike. So we can pick it, but we can't strike. And so I can go out and stand out on the streets, which I have done and picketed on non-contract hours. So you know, we pick it from like 6.30 to 6.45 in the morning and then a little bit after school. Um, but yeah, you couldn't, uh, it's illegal for us to strike. So wow. I have not participated in a strike. And yeah, I don't know of any of my family members. It's a right to work state where I'm out here in the West. Maybe let's, we'll unpack that a little bit more when we yeah. kind of discuss the ethics of striking. Um Christos, I, I see you. You've, I, of course, you've been the front of center. Oh yeah. So um, when I first started working for my company, I lived in Hawaii, and um, it was a um, clerical union that I belonged to, the ILWU One Forty Two. Um, I quickly did not. I was young too. I was twenty one when I started working um, at my company. But it didn't take me long to figure out that I did not like other people going into a room and deciding uh, what happens to me, you know, in the collective bargaining agreements and things like that. So I quickly ascended to shop steward um, so that I could be the guy who would go into negotiations with uh, kind of a, the three way between the company, the union and the workers. So I definitely have spent. Uh, I went through nego contract negotiations twice. We did not go to a strike. We came to agreements both times. But also, like, the work that comes with being the shop steward is um, when grievances are filed, you're the one that's meeting with management and uh, starting that discussion. So, yeah, it's um, definitely some experience there. Um, but, yeah, never been on can, strike. Can I ask you a question? Like, when you were shop steward, was that a paid position at all like did you get any compensation no because and no um i don't believe so it's been a long time yeah. but um um a lot of times what you were doing happened during work hours so you're already you're kind of being paid already um, oh okay um only once i had to travel to another island where we were having contract negotiations so that was we'll sort of travel one time but other mm. than that um, yeah, most of, most of that happened during the workday anyway. And volunteer time, yeah. Yeah. And how about you, Mark? Have you had any experience uh, striking or any family members? I know obviously Andy's in the medical profession. Has he ever faced a strike or anything like that? Uh, he has not. Uh, and my parents were teachers and, and they didn't surprisingly either. Um, I was with a company for you know, a decade and uh, there was not a, a union there at the company I was working for. 
Uh, I'm in a company now that does have unions, but I'm now in leadership positions, so I'm not part of that. So I really don't have much to speak about it, except for uh, the fact that, you know, I grew up in a very pro-union household and from like an early age, my parents, you know, had talked to me about what that means and like the history of it and why it's important in American society to make sure that we don't have things like, you know, child labor and things like that, uh, or people going into uh, dangerous situations without the PPE and stuff uh, that they need. And so because of unions, um, we have all of these things that uh, protect us and protect children and things like that. And so I, I grew up learning about the importance of them in spite of, uh, you know, not really having direct impact as far as like strikes are concerned uh, with, with my family members. Wow, that's amazing that you've had that grounding in, in the subjects. It's kind of come through the family history and the local like news amazing my history with striking is very flippant um i've served most of my life in, in the private sector but my kind of role that i trained for is a, a, a regulatory position so that would work for the council for the local authority so to be a food inspector a health inspector as you guys would call them uh, you work for the local authority so i did 12 months at um at wigan council here in greater manchester and during my placement year, there was a, an, a strike taking place. So everyone said, you need to join the union, you pay, uh, you join the union, you'll get a heavily subsidized rate because you're a student. Um, and then we're on strike next Monday. So as a, a young 20 something year old, I just saw it as an extra holiday. Shamefully, I was not there on the, with my placards on, on, the, uh, on the front line. I was in bed with a hangover. I just got an extra day off work. And then as soon as I finished my placement, I canceled it and went into the evil world of the private sector. So I will redeem myself as this episode goes on from that rather flippant experience of um, a rather adolescent Kelvin. So now that, you know, that's our personal experiences. Um, we've talked about these uh, strikes that have been going on and what it meant for Star Trek. Uh, but I think it's just quite important at this point that we maybe recap what's happened and where we are here and now. So, you know, obviously the writer's strike was done and dusted a number of weeks ago. This news that has just started this week is the end of the, the actor's strike so the actors can get back to work. What were some of the main points of interest or points of conflict that were in dispute? I know one of them was obviously in relation to AI and people having, you know, not having credit for their own work or their rights of their own body, their face, their voice taken away. Uh, did it extend beyond that? That's kind of the news that we got over yeah. here. Um, the biggest other issue that I think was really coming into play were streaming rights, because since the contract was last uh, settled, you know, the advent of streaming had become a thing. So basically, actors receive what they call residuals. So every time that uh, Star Trek The Next Generation uh, reruns on BBC America, for example, um, I believe our actors are getting a check, probably a small one, but they get a check, you know, for these um, re-airings. But anytime you were streaming an episode on Netflix or now on Paramount Plus, they weren't getting anything. 
Um, and so the beef was, it's like, hey, wait a minute, you, we need to change because you're making money still off of us. The, the way consumers are consuming the product has completely changed, but the contract was outdated and not reflecting that. So actors wanted a piece of streaming because, you know, if you think about it, how many years was Voyager the number one streaming show on Netflix back in, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like the actors were really, really not being compensated for that. Wow. Wow. It, it's, it's beggar's belief, really, when you think of the fact that the world has changed, but the, the contract is just so old and it, it took this industrial action to, to move things along and to modernize, which is often the way that industrial action takes. You've got to draw people and drag them over the coals. Yeah, there was a lot of, uh, lot of people that were working in Hollywood, but because Obviously, uh, it used to be there were seasons were 20 episodes long or something, and now it's, you know, 10. So then they have to work a bunch more than they had to before to meet the minimum qualification to get health care through uh, the union. So now um, I think that they more people will be able to fall under the umbrella and able to qualify for health care. And that was one of the big things, too. Yeah, as you were talking, I remembered one other thing, like the uh, like the contract of I'm with Paramount Studios or like I'm with this show, the show would hold you in contract, even though you weren't working so that you couldn't go and work, do another gig. You know, well, this one's, you know, I've signed up for the season, but then you have this layover you know, and they're dragging their feet or production. And it's like, no, you're still with us. We're still producing the show. So you can't go anywhere else and act. And it's like, well, I don't have anything to do for two weeks. I can go and do this. No, you cannot. So that freedom of their time of, you know, when they're actually working versus the contract of the show um, was adjusted as well. That's true. The uh, Now, that, this is all coming back as we're having discussion. Yeah, I definitely heard that idea that, you know, you're locked in. And so basically they own you whether you're working or not. And right. sometimes for, I mean, I think you're being generous with two weeks, Amy, yeah. sometimes it's much, much longer and you're just like, and it's in, you know, you're not being paid that extra time either. It's like they, you know, you, like, if you can you imagine being like, Hey, I'm uh, I'm a Star Trek, Strange New Worlds actor. I'm making 10 episodes a year, which is maybe 20 weeks of work, but then maybe not being allowed to work the other 32 weeks of the year, that would be bad. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It reminds me of what they did to Will Wheaton uh, in the '90s. You know, when mm. they, when Will wasn't having much to do on the show, and he said, "Oh, can I go do this other thing?" and they wouldn't let him go yeah. do that. So this is it was happening then, and it's still continued to happen for a lot of different actors. But yeah, to tie it back into Trek, uh, that's sort of what uh, one of the bones of contention for Will Wheaton and why he ended up leaving. Mm -hmm. So clearly, now we've got to this resolution. And it means people can uh, get back to work, which is obviously the most important thing for them to earn their money, support their family. Um, and it means we can kind of get back to normal a little bit with Trek because we came to a standstill over the last uh, number of weeks. And we're now reflecting on, I, obviously, I yeah, Discovery is in the can and good to go in early next year. But after Discovery... Uh, and maybe season two of Prodigy now that's got its home on Netflix. But after that, there's going to be a huge chasm 
were we're not going to have any Star Trek until season three of Strange New Worlds or any of the newer series if they race them out of into production. So this this kind of lag effect of we're now celebrating the end of the strike, but we're not really going to feel the effect as Trekkies for several months to come yet. So it's interesting how we reflect on that. Well, um, a bunch of the you know, the creative team uh, that worked on 90s Trek uh, now works on the Apple TV show For All Mankind. And uh, my co-host over at Cinema Z, Matthew Jennings, uh, just had a guest star spot on For All Mankind. So just a little plug there, worth checking out, you guys. Uh, it's a great sci-fi show if you have Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah. So I think the point... Uh going there is how do we get going again right and even if we get going tomorrow how long is it going to be next year is going to be a period like the, the banner year of animated trek i think because we'll have a probably have a new season of lower decks definitely probably have either 10 or 20 episodes of prodigy season two next year whether they air that all at once or they air it in two to break it up we don't know yet we have the 10 yeah. episodes of discovery um I know they've been kind of doing this reset every month on Strange New Worlds during the strike of, okay, if we resolve this month, how fast will it take to get started again? Um, I think the question's going to be, I think they're also ready to go on the Section 31 movie. So, but they're both being filmed in Toronto. So I don't know that they're going to be able to film simultaneously on the movie and Strange New World. So it might become a matter of who gets to go first. I think they're going to let the movie go first. So we get that probably late next year. Mm, you can, and you can understand why the, the amount of money that a movie will generate uh, rather than a series. But this kind of now everything has come back to life. It reminds me a little bit of the other year when the pandemic came to an end and kind of Hollywood reopened films and, you know, there was that starvation in cinemas of no new material and then yeah. everything was happening all at once. So there's going to be that race for, you know, the the locations and the people behind the scenes. And, yeah, it's going to be crazy busy. Um, I mean, we've had this period as well where the actors have been fortunate that they've been able to work and generate some income through conventions, through the autographs um, and photo shoots. But there was this kind of weird clause of the, um, the union, I can't think of the word then, uh, that obviously you're not allowed to talk about Star Trek because it would promote and breach the rules of the, the, uh, the strike. So it gave us some rather unique conventions here in 2023. Um, I wasn't really lucky enough to attend any conventions during the striking periods, but I know you guys did at STLV and discussed it at length on our recap. But I mean, what was the what was the standout thing about conventions during the strike? Did you enjoy them? Were they just a bit weird? Did you feel a bit shortchanged? I really enjoyed it. And one thing, and yes, listeners, go listen to our STLV recap because we talked a lot about this. But one thing I found just super fun was how creative they were to describe the shows that they were on without saying the actual title of the show. You know, that episode where we're trekking through the stars, you know, the one, the five-year mission. Oh, you know, the one where we're on a station. Yeah. Um, it was just so creative and so cute. And you could see their desire of wanting to communicate their thoughts 
but yet sort of stick it to the man. No, I am yeah. not going to promote something that you are not compensating me for. So oh, I yeah. just, I loved it. It was smart. It was intelligent. And it's like, you're not going to stop me. I am going to this convention. And now I get to talk about myself and not your show. When in reality, yeah. it's my show. Like, I just, I loved it. I mean, I still think indirectly they're promoting the show, whether we want to say it or not. But it was, it was, it kind of made it different and fun. It drew attention to the idea of the strike. This is why they're not saying it. Um, the only thing I thought was talk about sticking it to it. I, I kind of had a hard time with um, autographs. Like, you could, if you were obviously, if you paid for an autograph, there's pictures provided for you there. The actors were not providing pictures of them as their characters, but as themselves. There you go. Get your autograph. But if you brought your own piece of photo or memorabilia for them to sign that was said maybe around that show, um, you had to pay more to have them autograph it. So I had wow. Gates McFadden autograph a script for me that she and I paid more for it than if I had taken a picture of her on the table and had her sign it. Which, I mean, it it's a little... I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't quite sit right with me. It's a Money little grab. backwards. Little little ass backwards if you if you ask me. But um, yeah. But you know, it's done, and I hope we don't have to do any of this anytime soon again. Absolutely. <laughs> Away from the conventions, obviously, there's been a huge amount of media coverage, either in the news or on social media, of the actual picket lines itself. Uh, I think we would be remiss as a show to not kind of pay tribute to some of the, uh, all of the Star Trek actors who found themselves on the picket line day in, day out. Uh, a couple of people uh, who really jumped to the forefront of attention, like Jerry Ryan and Michelle Hurd, who were really championing the cause. Um, I know, Amy, you spent some time down on the picket line a number of weeks ago, didn't you, with uh, our good friend Johnny? Uh, tell yes. us a little bit about what that was like. You know, well, first, I just want to give credit and recognition to, again, Michelle Hurd, Armin Shimmerman, Jerry Ryan, who are actually serving on, you know, the union board. Uh, Michelle Hurd is like vice president. Like, and how significant is it to have so many Star Trek actors in this union? Like, they, they are living the ideals of Star Trek and the philosophy that we hold true. And that's just... I mean, I seriously, well, that's because I don't research it, but what other show has as many actors in the franchise supporting this cause? I mean, I'm sure there are, but I just really want to recognize all of them. And like Ethan Peck was out there, Nana Visitor, like you saw them on the picket lines so much, like they were there almost daily. It was very inspirational. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, I think we all live in that bubble of Trek social media. So, but we saw quite a bit of it. But yeah, definitely. And, and I, I don't know too many franchises that organized. I think we had two days that were officially organized for fans to show up and also support and a lot of fans in cosplay and things like that. So bringing you know, more focus to it by bringing in the fans, not just the actors, just kind of, you know, and do that in front of Paramount to show solidarity and even show the fans are behind it. So now this is the part where the fans pay right now. Now we're going to go into this. It's been fine because we've had content all this year, but 
now we're going to have to go through the 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 wobbly waiting for for new content but um i'm going to segue here if you don't mind uh, paramount wasted no time announcing thursday morning they make a series order for starfleet academy so uh, yeah yeah they, they just came <laughs> i knew that timed exactly with the strike ending you know to try to kind of change the narrative strikes over and we're still we're back in the business of star trek so that goes into production next year and i think they finally confirmed that it'll be set in the discovery timeline mm -hmm. and the, the way way future mm -hmm. so that's kind of exciting and, and then i think we um I think the next thing is everyone's waiting for is will we get some news on Star Trek Legacy? Absolutely. I mean, I think that has to happen now or never. Even if it's just as a thank you to Michelle and Jerry, it's deserved. They really yeah. should get it. It's yeah. nice to see the actors kind of able to talk Trek again. I don't know if you've noticed on social media, they're now all starting to share the behind the scenes videos that they did on Subspace Rhapsody that yes. they weren't allowed to post. And they're just joyous uh, seeing uh, Celia Rose Gooding just dancing around that mess hall. And oh, oh yeah, so nice. And Sam Kirk, I don't know the actor's name, but he definitely, um, I don't know, he looked really cute singing next to her. <laughs> he seemed to know all yeah. the words really good too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess my final, the effect of the strike, I'm not concerned about because I, I will look at the greater good but we we have the star trek cruise in february and a number of strange new world actors were signed up guests on the cruise and i i fear they're gonna drop out now because they will be back to work which is great but it just means they won't be available for the cruise so i will be gutted if we move if we lose i, I uh, hate to say that yeah i hate to think that but you're you're probably right there it's it's going to be interesting to see if they get people back to work before before Christmas and make them kind of have mostly a, a heavy December, or is everyone going to kind of wait till January to start shooting? You know, I know they kind of have. I think they like they they were saying they're like ready to go on that Section Thirty One movie, like so maybe that goes first. But then, yeah, I fear you're right, Kelvin. Like even other things, um, I know there's the. Um, the convention in San Francisco a week or two after the cruise. There's yeah. a lot of actors signing up for that. So I think you're right. There might be, um, maybe people might be working and not be able to attend conventions and whatnot for the, at least the first part of next year. So with striking in general, I mean, harking back to what you just opened with, Amy, um, I wanted to almost reflect on the ridiculousness of the narrative of Bar Association that strikes were illegal in Ferengi culture. And I actually put in the little overview outline here, how ridiculous would it be if strikes were illegal and you weren't allowed? There are constant strikes in the UK because we have a lot of government-owned and operated industry, uh, like the, the NHS, uh, teaching. There's constant strikes at this moment in time now. Amy, you've just told me where you work where you've worked in the past where you've lived strikes are illegal or and in my head i am shooketh by this news is this common in america well it was so funny because i was you know reading your notes on the outline and i was like how would we feel if strikes were illegal well they are i i don't know i feel it's normal because that's how i was raised uh, so uh it's 
yeah, like I said, the three states, Nevada and Utah, right to work, um, we cannot strike. Uh, in Nevada, interestingly enough, um, we just, uh, I had a survey and they were talking about the teacher strike or, you know, teachers picketing and the right to strike. And they were getting our opinions on, do you believe that government workers, uh, essential, like, like you're saying, health, uh, medical, uh, teachers, firemen, police, should they be allowed to strike? That was what, what, what I was being asked. And I agree. Yes, I do believe that you should, because if there are environments and conditions that are not healthy, mentally and physically, then they need to be addressed. Um, so yeah, I, it, it, I found that question very funny because I've lived with illegal strikes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> difference between the Atlantic Ocean right. here, and this is it is educational for me to hear this perspective because again, it's of course we strike all the time here. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's important to point out that the uh, United Auto Workers Union just settled this week. That was a big strike that um, President Biden here in America was the first president to ever join a picket line. That was pretty historic. Um, and um, can I jump Amy, in? Sure we, thing. Uh, yes. In Las Vegas, a huge industry is the service industry and the uh, restaurant um, and yeah, bar that industry, they went on strike um, and Caesars was the first one to uh, give in. So kudos to Caesars, yeah. although they should yeah. have been paying their employees better. But yeah, it, I think the uh, actors and writers strike really sent a ripple, which is well needed and good timing in this country. Cause I've yeah. seen, yeah, like you said, the auto and like this huge industry in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely um, a lot to that. And I think workers, you know, we've had this discussion in America about, you know, the erosion of the middle class and whatnot and the rich getting richer. And even with the auto workers strike, they talked about, you know, the, remember the 07, 08, 09 really bad recession we had, the housing crisis here in America. The auto unions, the workers took big pay cuts back then in order to keep Chrysler and these other and Ford from going under. Then we fast forward to recovery and record profits, but they didn't give the workers back their wages. And so these strikes have been kind of overdue. Um, on a little fun note, um, historic fiction, I guess, um, I'm watching Gilded Age season two right now. And it's set in 1883, 1884. And they're, they're the uh, railroad, um, George Russell, who's like a, the Vanderbilt or whatever in this show, but they're talking about the unionization of the railroads. And he's as the, you know, the millionaire having to deal with his, these union guys. And so that's being kind of also shown here in our historical fiction mm -hmm. and showing some of the history of how unions got started in America. And what you just mentioned there, Christos, about that little history lesson, that is literally lifted out of the DS9 Bar Association episode where Quark says, I either cut your, cut your pay or lay half of you off. And then they say, well, will you give it us back when things get back to normal? And he's like, mm, I might do. <laughs> Maybe. Wow. And how so, we twist it, like, you should be thanking me that I'm not yeah. firing you. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's dark. It's not funny, this episode. It really isn't. Um, obviously, here on the network, we, we've stood in solidarity with the strikes. We've put it out at the beginning of all of our episodes. But have you guys ever had any kind of experience or negative experience where strikes have gone bad, kind of away from that kind of personal, dare I say, selfish, oh, there's no new Star Trek, kind of... How, how does it land in the US? Maybe it's different here in the UK because I said strikes were a lot more common. But uh, are you guys just, strikes are great, let's support everyone, or have you got any feelings to the contrary, maybe? You know, it was an interesting question. And the only thing I could think of, and I, I this is not meant to be flippant, but when we had government shutdowns, um, I needed to go to a government building and it was closed. Um, that really is the only negative yeah. thing that I've experienced because it yeah. just doesn't happen. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we have, you, you, there's, I've, I can recall like flight attendants and pilots being on strike, but maybe I wasn't flying during that period. So I didn't have mm -hmm. a direct impact. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, Vegas has been on strike. Um, and I remember also, I lived in Hawaii for a very long time. I remember the hotel, the hospitality workers are, were on strike. And I know that was affecting tourism and mm -hmm. there may have been some repercussions. But other than that, um, I can, I guess, say I haven't been majorly inconvenienced yeah. by a strike. Now, Here Mark, with you living in the East, which is more likely to strike, have you had been in fact, no. Have, have you been negatively affected by any strikes? Not particularly. Like, I, I haven't, you know, tried to go to a restaurant and the restaurant closed because the workers are, are striking and whatnot. Um, I think maybe because, especially my area, like Boston area, uh, just like the strong, like the, the Irish, uh, you know, population here, the workers, um, it's always been a strong um union center here like where i'm at so i think that uh the companies and the unions are at this point like accustomed to um i don't know playing ball with each other because they know the repercussions aren't going to be good uh and so uh you see occasionally there'll be um picketing and whatnot um but i think the deals get reached uh, quicker and don't get drawn out as much, uh, maybe because of the history, because they've been um, like, you know, over in the, the UK, uh, been dealing with it for quite a long yeah. time. So he, over over here in the UK, there is this narrative with the media, because uh, we have got constant uh, healthcare teachers and transport union strikes. And there is now a a feeling of your the striking industries are losing the support of the public because of the amount of inconvenience we are suffering. So starting with transport, all the train strikes take place on major sporting events or public holidays for the biggest impact, and it's constantly happening. So the public are getting a little bit annoyed. But now move it into healthcare, you've now got the news kind of fostering a narrative of it is irresponsible of the nurses, the junior doctors, the other strikes, because they are putting lives at risk. 
and they're bringing the union leaders onto the news, onto Good Morning Britain, onto BBC News, saying, you're going to cost lives. How do you feel about that? And so it is taking a very a dark narrative in that manner. Um, but they just they, it just needs to get sorted out. It really does. That is very frustrating to hear. And, and that's sort of the reason why it's illegal. Like if all the teachers went on strike, what's going to happen to a third of the population who are in school? And it can, it's this very fine line that you're walking of, okay, we want to support, I'll just say teachers, because that's what I'm familiar with. We want to support teachers, but then, oh, you're selfish and you should be teaching our kids. Well, it is not our fault. You need to be mad at the government who's not paying, who's not providing the funding. Like this is where the anger needs to go towards, not the workers. And that trend of the elite and the government spinning it to make yeah. the workers be yeah. um, vilified is yeah. insane. Well, and that's, Good, really good point, Amy. That's where, you know, most of the news organizations now are owned by these huge corporations and they have a narrative. So now it's like the news is no longer independent or unbiased. You have a, you're at a you know, an agenda by the media. We hear about that a lot. And it's, you know, hey, well, you better get, you know, make these unions look bad and help sway public opinion that this isn't good. So that puts pressure for them to settle and get back to work and maybe settle for yeah. something that's not in their best interest. Um, I just, I've got a very little funny story to tell you. It's a, it's a history lesson. Amy, do you remember when you came to Manchester and you, you were immersed in the industrial nature of greater Manchester here in yes. England? Um, one of the industries that has now long since died out, unfortunately, is the coal mining industry. Mm. And the area that I grew up in, uh, an area called Wigan in Greater Manchester, is a very strong coal mining industry. My grandfather was a coal miner. And Wigan, if you tell people you're from Wigan, you are sometimes called a pie eater. Mm. Now, I know in America, you guys think of pie as apple pie, cherry pie. It's more of a savory dish here in the UK. We have meat pies and cheese and onion and things. And it's true, people from where I grew up, we eat a lot of pastry and pies. However, the phrase that Wigginers are pie eaters actually comes from 100 years ago when pretty much all of the men who worked in Wigan were coal miners and went on strike. And unfortunately, the strike was that long and drawn out that the uh, unions lost. And it was said that all of Wigan were starved back to going into work and therefore all of Wigan were called to be eating humble pie. So now Wiganers are still to this day, 100, year old, 100 years later, referred to as pie eaters because we lost a strike. Wow. Yeah. But if you talk to a young person, they just think it's because we eat a lot of pie. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm listening to history with the Zalagis. I know. Yeah, I no, should get you, to cover it. We, Europe is so steeped in its history. I mm -hmm. think people are just definitely, they gravitate it so much more and they know it. Whereas Americans, we're always kind of forward looking and we don't look back very often and we should, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, we, on average. We have, a, 
We have a long history. Um, shall we get back to the episode? I don't feel we've actually discussed much of it. Let's have a look at some assimilations. 48 minutes yet. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> assimilations and regenerations for this particular episode. Who wants to start us off? Because it was a great episode with some good moments. I will start off because I totally had this thought when I was watching this yesterday. So after many episodes, Quark, becoming a nice guy, and a bit of a reformed Ferengi, you know, kind of became quite likable, right? You know, he's one of our favorites. It's mid-season four, I believe, right? Um, here we see him return to that, you know, true to form, cruel guy that we kind of saw back in episode one in Emissary, right? So, um, you know, and it's like, okay, yeah, this makes him complex and a beloved character. But I'm like, it's almost like unbelievable in the sense that you just made such a big right turn. I know they frame it well that because of the Bajoran holiday, business is really bad. And they kind of set a reason for him to be in a foul mood. But I, I felt like it's a little bit of a jolt, you know, at this point for Quark to suddenly be so incompassionate. He was a bit very Scrooge from A Christmas yes. Carol. <laughs> very miserly. Yeah. 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 You know, I love, and this is episode 16. Right. So Worf came on and Worf is still adjusting to living on the station. I think it's wonderful. I think it's well-deserved. I think it's in your face of, oh, it's episodic TV. No, these characters are having to go with ish, deal with issues and moving to a new place and new people can be very difficult to adjust to. And I just thought it was lovely. And of course, this is where, you know, Jadzia and Worf get together. Well, not get together, but, you know, just the beginning of their relationship. I really That's like that. Yeah. yeah. I like when he gives, when she gives him the little, well, we'll call it USB stick, whatever that is, isolinear chip yeah. of the Klingon operas. And I'm like, oh, you can I see like the budding that. of the relationship there. And mm -hmm. yeah, so I was like, oh, that's really cute. He could tell he really likes her, respects her. And I liked it. There was also that they're um, going off when when they discover that Worf was being robbed, but they're, they were together and they were going off to the holodeck or whatever. So um, yeah, I kind of like that. But um yeah, I loved when uh, Odo kind of schooled Worf, you know, about all the security breaches that were on the Enterprise D and talk about in 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 world, right? He specifically aim, names things that we saw on screen, like, you know, the, the basically rascals in a matter of time and events of those episodes. So that was pretty cool. I think that was great continuity. And I loved um, the the holographic quark waiters in in the quarks bar uh where they would short circuits and fritz out when anyone with a kind of a magnet came near them right. and it was good because it kind of answers a lot of those questions of why don't we just use holograms for everything why so people are not servile and it kind of addressed it in a very comedy way of well right. they don't always work. they're not all going to be like the doctor from voyager Right. But yeah, but then we also find out, right, that like, um, that kind of alludes to things we saw later in Voyager, or maybe they were happening concurrently, where the doctor finds out that the EMH1 is basically doing uh, labor oh, work. <laughs> oh, yeah, like they're doing labor work. And so they did, obviously, at some point, someone perfected it, you know, um, the technology to have holograms being servants. But um, so it's, like you were saying, Calvin, continuity kind of 
all sticks together. So if there are assimilations, what have we got for regenerations? Uh, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to jump in here because there's one. And again, I think this is a UK-US kind of anomaly here that I found it incredibly ironic that the industry in this episode was the hospitality industry going on strike because here in the UK, it's not unionized. The hospitality industry is considered one of those jobs you go into as a stepping stone to kind of pay for your way through college or dare I say while you're deciding what to do now there are people with great careers in hospitality and and you know I've got a long career in hospitality I even have a degree in the subject for my sins but we would never strike <laughs> and it's almost there are no rights for hospitality workers um if you downed your tools and went on strike, you would just get fired and you would be replaced by another 17-year-old. So the fact that this strike, this groundbreaking episode focused on the hospitality industry, I found it unbelievable from a UK perspective, but also just want to you know, drive the message that standards should be better and people should be paid a proper living wage that work in the hospitality industry so it becomes more of a attractive career like it is in America. That's my soapbox rant over for the week. Yeah. I mean, but couldn't have, you know, Quark, he could have just fired them all and hired new workers if he could find them. I mean, DS9 is only so big. Um, but um, I thought it was kind of interesting. It was a little bit of a prime directive discussion to have here. Um, Cisco tries to meddle in the strike a little bit and point out that Quark doesn't pay rent. He doesn't pay for the uh, power he uses or anything like that. So basically, if you don't want to be back charged, settle it, um, which is nice. I, I think that harkens all the way back to Emissary, right, where they're like, you know, trying to make it keep DS9 flourishing so they want to incentivize people to stay. So basically, there's a government subsidy there to have a business on DS9. So there's that, but then, you know, Quark is citing cultural reasons for why you know, for, it's against our culture to have unions and do this kind of activity. So I don't know, is there a little, is that a prime directive discussion there because interfering in another's culture or? Yeah, I mean, if it's not prime mm -hmm. directive, it's certainly, if you remember the scene in Way of the Warrior between Clark and Garrick, where they say the Federation is insidious and it kind of affects you without you realizing, it's kind of making Clark the, you know, in quotes, the Federation Ferengi. So he's, he's tamed, Cisco is taking those, normal practices if he was on Ferengid or away from him because they're on a, a Bajoran station operated by Starfleet. So yeah, I, I don't know if it's prime directive, but he's making him culturally adjust to the Federation norm, which again, if you look around the world and cultural appropriation, it's just not the done thing. So yeah, sorry, Cisco. Okay, one regeneration. I'm sorry, listeners. The Umoks with Rom, like, do we really need to know when any Ferengi masturbates? I just, I just don't think we need to know that. And we don't need to know that there's some kind of gross infection because you have been masturbating too much. I'm sorry. I'm just calling it as it is. I just, we don't need that. There could have been another funny ear, you know. Joke. 
yeah. joke or another ear ailment that wasn't related to that. It just, I'm, it's yeah. played. And to play off that, Amy, um, I, I should have wrote this here, but it was kind of irritated me. It's like, you mean to tell me he's not felt well for three weeks and he couldn't find 15 minutes to walk across the promenade to the infirmary and, and get his little ear infection at looked at, you know? I mean, this is 20, 22, 23 something, like, come on, you know, Bashir fixed him right up. Do we have to get, it's like everything has um, to have that, uh, the, that breaking point of where it's like, oh, well, he passed out, so this is bad, or, you know. I was uh, thinking about regenerating sort of Worf uh, being a scab, I guess, or g going into the bar while everybody was striking. And then, like, I'm getting in a fight with O'Brien, who is his buddy. I don't know. That whole scene, um, I see what they were trying to do, they, to create some conflict and to sort of drive home the point that uh, crossing the picket line is not good. So they needed somebody, so that they threw Worf at it. But I just didn't feel like it fit any of the characters. It was just odd. It was just odd for those characters to be involved in that scenario. That's all. I I agree, Mark. It's like we needed to give these three people something to do. So we wrote a little, little, little side plot. I want to say it's not a B plot because it does relate back to the strike. Does it make you a scab, though, if you patronize a business where the strike's happening? Or are you a scab if you are actually a union worker or worker that crosses the line? I, I, I guess, like, you know, are you a scab if you buy a new car from Ford while the workers are, are, are on strike? Or are you a scab if you're the worker and you go to work or buy a new car? I don't know. I hope I'm not a scab if I go to the doctors while the doctors are on strike because I'm not waiting <laughs> until it's over if I'm sick. Yeah. Well, then we would all be scabs because we watched Star Trek while the writers and actors were on strike. Good point, Amy. Well, this happens twice in this episode, so that's why I really bring it up. So, you know, in the beginning of this episode, well, first off, I'll just read the statement and then we'll talk about it. So, so I put, O'Brien seems to be a direct descendant of whatever and wherever and whomever and whenever it's convenient for the storyline. And I say that because him and Bashir at the beginning, very beginning of the episode are heading for the hollow suites. And it's like Bashir and him, why, do you, why don't I get it to be the king? Well, I'm a direct descendant of blah, 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 blah. And I don't remember which characters they were playing. Okay. And then when we get to the idea of striking, it was like, well, my great, 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 great grandfather O'Brien led a union in Pennsylvania Railroad and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay. So O'Brien basically... Is it's, like, it's like me saying, you know, I'm a direct descendant of Zeus, everybody. So y'all better get in line. You know, that's like, or, you know, um, you know, Aphrodite was my great, 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 great grandma. Yeah, yeah. We'll say, you know, like, that's kind of how I feel like when I hear O'Brien doing it. It's just too convenient. It does remind me a little bit of Chekhov in the original series, though, because everything related to Russia, uh, Russia. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, this, you know, Lassiter was invented in Russia. We tell the best jokes. It's like, what? You know, stuff like that. It was like every episode Chekhov had a new thing. was pitched by like Barbara and Jennifer Russia. Lee, who are two and, sisters. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of like that. And they basically had one hour to sit down and they pitched 18 different ideas for episodes, which is kind of crazy. Um, Renee Varia, I always say his name wrong. I actually bought some scripts that apparently belonged to him at the last STLV, though. 
Uh, so they were very sweet, but they and they had they had got it basically down to where they were pitching the whole hour in like one sentence, one line. So for this one, it was like they said, Rom starts a union. And they're like, yes, we will buy that idea and go with it. Um, I think that's pretty cool. I would love to hear what the other 17 ideas were, though. <laughs> Ooh, that might be a fun thing to investigate. Listeners, let us know if you can figure out what those other 17 ideas were. Uh, this episode was originally set to be a B plot for Rejoined or Crossfire, but growing fondness for the episode among the production team escalated to a status. Ooh, I can't imagine how it would have fit in either of those other two episodes. It would have rapid, massively changed them. Well, you know what? There were terrible reflection issues caused by the glasses and silver tray carried by those holographic corks, which had to be drawn out in post-production. That's so funny. I actually noticed that the glasses looked weird, especially the one that was in the forefront. I'm like, they, it did look like there was some CGI going on around the glasses at one point. And I'm like, that's weird. And... So they and can remove the flares, but they can't remove the marker on the ground that you found, huh, Christopher? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, listeners, this never happens to me, but I caught a mark on the ground, um, somebody's standing mark, um, and took a little screenshot of it, just in, you know, backed it up, and I was like, I never catch those things. I'm like, usually it's all over my head, that's like going too fast, and mm -hmm. I don't catch those kind of mess ups, but I, I was proud of myself for that one. That was toward the end of the episode. Okay, uh, obviously the star of the episode, uh, Max Grudenchik, Rom, um, he didn't want to do this episode. He didn't like it. He was terrified of the idea of Rom leaving the bar, and he really had to be persuaded that this would not be, as he thought, the death knell for Rom. In contrary, it would actually be a rebirth of the character. Aww. That's, I could see where he would think that. Like, mm -hmm. if you're like, if you get, if your point is to be on this particular part of the set and in, engaging in these stories, and then you find out that you're not, you're like, oh, am I being written off the show? That's kind of mm -hmm. where I would go. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I could see that. Legitimate. Uh, the kiss between Ram and Lita reminded the writing team of something of Beauty and the Beast. And it was in this moment that they thought, let's marry Ram and Lita. It's always kind of fun when you go backwards in the series and just jump around. And you're like, like we were just talking about Worf and Jadzia and all this, actually. There's two relationships that kind of butt off from this episode. So I think yeah. importance to canon is pretty huge in this episode, not to mention Rom going off and being an engineer and how that would play into, say, when the when the uh, Dominion's occupying DS9 and things like that, how the, he would have bigger effects with this changing character in the overall story arc later on. Indeed. See, Kelvin, I do know my DS9 sometimes. Yeah. This is not, <laughs> good job it's not in season two. Is <laughs> right. Okay. Let's, let's get to final thoughts before Chris Cross kills me. Amy, final thoughts. What are you thinking? Okay. I sort of went off the deep end here, but I think it fits in. Hopefully I can... Uh, convince you as well. I came away looking at each of the little characters and sort of got this big picture of how do we get to a compromise? And looking at just this example, 
I think we can see, is it better to change one's opinion through fact, or is it better to change it by changing their perspective? Um, and we got some examples, like with Miles and Julian. Julian was complaining, well, why do we have to do, why are you the king of whatever their hollow suite was? And fact was, Miles says, well, it's my hologram program, hollow program. So the fact is, that is his, so he gets to pick and choose, that's a fact. Um, with So then Miles is like, oh, well, that makes sense. So his opinion was changed, right? And there's a compromise, all right. Well, we'll do your hollow program one time and then we'll do mine. You know, we get to do Storm the Alamo. Like there's a compromise with Odo and Worf. Uh, Worf is complaining, This I caught this thief. This would never happen on the Enterprise. And then as we talked about, uh, Odo's like, well, it happened here in Rascals. It happened here in the other one. Um, and then Worf is like, Oh yeah, you're right. Those facts back it up. So I'm going to change my opinion and yes. Okay. Understand. Then we have like Worf and Jadzia, uh, at the very end, you know, Jadzia brings him the favorite Klingon operas and is like, well, you know, maybe you'll, it just needs some time. You'll get used to living here. And then Worf is like, or maybe you guys will get used to me. And I'm like, okay, they both recognize they're going to change their opinion. I love that war, uh, look that Terry Farrell gives at the end where it's like, mm -hmm, we'll change each other. I just, I loved it. Um, and then when Rom and Quirk, sort of the biggest example is where Rom's like, you need to see it from my perspective. We, terrible working conditions. I couldn't go see the doctor. Like, you got to see it from my perspective. And if we want this compromise, which is better? And I've, I've gone back and forth to like, how can we get us to work together so that we don't have to have strikes? And I sort of think that the episode is saying you need both. You need to have accurate facts and you need to be willing to look at it from another perspective. And I felt like this episode really teaches us that concept. Those are my final thoughts. I love that you arrived at that conclusion of you need both because people are different and some people are very data-led, orientated, logical, the way they make the same decisions. Others are very, very emotive, subjective. Everything's about how you feel rather than what you see. So blending those two is the perfect way to actually achieve change. So yeah, that's that's a really informed way to look at this as a final thought, Amy. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mark Christos, what are your final thoughts for the episode? What how's it? How do you think of this episode as a man versus machine? We kind of said this is the machine here is the yeah. industry. Um. So I have a lot of like pros and cons to this episode. I mean, I I think for the most part, you guys have been following along as I've talked about it mostly positive there's some fun things in this episode definitely some really important to canon things in this episode a lot of character development that comes out of this episode so it's very important and i like it for some of those reasons i think uh where it um the the idea of the whole idea of the strike and everything it's a little hokey in the sense that it's very 1990s idea taken 300 years forward um and we, we, we poked a little bit in the regenerations. 
I think you really have to look at this episode that it, it can be kind of fun and that's what you take out of it. And there's some good ideas there. Um, I think it is a perfect example of man versus the machine, the machine being corporate or the law or Ferengi law, whatever you want to call it there, or, or challenging a custom and it being dated or alert to your, I like what you said, Kelvin, about it being very, you know, Quark is, Quark is becoming very sanitized with Starfleet, kind of what Garrick said back there in Way of the Warrior. And you, I think we do see that there. And the compromise at the end of, we're going to give you everything that you want, but you have to not let it look like that. You have to basically say you, 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 you acquiesced and went back to work, but you're going to get everything back under the table, basically, that you wanted. And that is, like, I won, but I can't go gloat. I don't know. Like, you know, <laughs> but that's appeasing the Ferengi custom and getting Brunt FCA off their back. But the workers getting everything that they asked for. So I don't know. It's, it's a little all over the place, but I ironically, I actually enjoyed the episode when I could normally poke a million holes into it. And... I'm always excited to see Ferengi episodes. Uh, they're some of my favorites. Uh, I know they're not the most popular, but I really enjoy them and I love Armin. And um, it was a little weird seeing Armin because even though Quark is nefarious by nature um i always kind of root for him anyway and this time it was weird because he really was the bad guy in this episode so that was kind of hard for me because I, I like him so much i love the character of quark and i love armin so to have him be the sort of the villain but in the end he had he did have an arc where he sort of gave in for his brother and he did you know let his brother know that he cared about him and he does actually love him which he found out at the end of the episode so so that arc was good i'm glad that they had the arc uh i loved seeing the little easter eggs sprinkled throughout of things that really would come to fruition later on throughout the series i was like oh this is when the first time what these two characters felt this way about each other or that and then warp ending up on the defiant was another thing where it's like yeah that makes sense for who we know of the character of warp and his structure and uh, discipline and his, you know, uh, joining Starfleet and wanting everything to be like a certain way, even like his um, his vision of what uh, Klingon culture is like is, is not uh, really what it what it is. It's like he has like this, um, he lives in this bubble almost. So to me, the idea that he would go into the Defiant and make that his bubble of like, okay, this is his safe space. I was like, yes, he totally would. This is exactly what would happen. Wow, that makes sense. And it was, I think, the first time I've seen this episode where that hit me, where I was like, okay, I understand. Yes, that's perfect for the character. And I really recognized the powerful writing of this episode. It was done really well. Um, I enjoyed it. This is a great rewatch for me. What shows are on BQN, you ask? Well, here's a rundown of some podcasts you might be interested in. All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast covering all of Trek, hosted by Amy, Mark, Christos, and Kelvin. Bargain Bin Gamer, a YouTube show hosted by Davey, a self-proclaimed gamer who specializes in reviewing and showcasing affordable video games. If you're lost in the Delta Quadrant, check out The Captain's Couch, a Star Trek Voyager podcast hosted by Jeremiah sitting on Janeway's ready room couch. Cinema Z, 
a film discussion and review podcast showcasing films you probably missed but should definitely check out. Hosted by Mark, Matt, and Laz. Beam aboard the Galaxy Class, a Star Trek Next Generation podcast covering all of TNG. Hosted by Amy, Joe, Rhea, and Kevin. History with the Zilagis, a snippet of historical events from around the world. Hosted by Chrissy and Jason. For the newest Trek coverage, check out Infinite Diversity. Hosted by Chrissy and Thad. Test your Trek knowledge with Trexperts Quiz, a Star Trek quiz show hosted and written by Davey. Union Federation, covering all things Star Trek and the Orville, which we all know is really a Star Trek show. Hosted by Kyle, Kevin, Amy, and Haley. Spill the Tea with What's the Tea, Bev? A Trek current events and fan interview show hosted by Christos. And for our Patreon members, we have The Hive Mind, BQN's monthly roundtable discussion with hosts and listeners. It's Green, a cornucopia of topics hosted by Mark. And Amy's Math Moments, a quick look at math moments in Star Trek hosted by Amy. We know you have a choice of podcasts to choose from, and we thank you for listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. So let's try this again. Amy, why don't you tell the listeners where are we going next week? Well, listeners, if you already watched the Doomsday Machine, good job. And if you didn't, you have another week to do so because we are still going to be talking man versus machine, but with the original series Doomsday Machine. Have you watched it, Amy? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like deja vu. (laughs) I know. Don't ask me anything about it. I haven't seen it. You've got an extra week like the listeners. Yes. Okay, we we would love to hear what you thought of today's episode and hope you'll join our Facebook group, the BQN Collective, to continue our discussion there. You can also reach out to at All Good Pod on Twitter and Blue Sky. Please follow the network on Twitter, Blue Sky, and Instagram at BQN Podcasts. And we've also partnered with our friends at the Fandom Podcast Network, where you can find us by searching the Master Feed. So, Amy... Where can people find you when you're not being chased around the promenade by naughty Norsicans? <laughs> well, hopefully they're not going to be throwing darts at me. <laughs> that was pretty weird. <laughs> oh, all Norsican games are dangerous. <laughs> like, okay. Well, Picard knows, dumb job. So you can find me um, here on the network where I'm co-hosting Union Federation and Galaxy Class. I am on that Twitter X place at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place, BQN Collective on Facebook. And Christos, where can people find you when you are not regaling everything Greek to everyone? You can also find me on Facebook in the BQN Collective, um, pretty much on all the socials at Greek Geek SD. Uh, although I will say I'm really bad about social lately. It really feels like so. Um, anyways, um, and Mark, where can people find you when you're not hiding out on the Defiant listening to your Klingon operas? 
Hmm. Lauren Malota. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, I actually, no, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. <laughs> there, it's it's a vibe. It's a whole vibe. Uh, and I would do it in that white bathrobe he wears when he's doing the the Klingon yoga. Um, okay. So when I'm not doing that, uh, you can find me on Cinema Z. It's a podcast that I do um, with some friends and we talk about uh, some of our favorite films. Uh, you can also find me in the BQN Collective Facebook group. And um, yeah, I'm on Blue Sky, MW207. And Kelvin, where can people find you when you are not explaining that your great, 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 great grandfather was a king in a castle somewhere in the UK. I, I mean, he probably was. Um, when I'm not doing that, you can find me in the BQN Collective Facebook group. It's my preferred place to chat with everyone. Or you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Kelvin's Timeline. I am going to be coming off threads uh, because it's just full of a lot of copycat accounts which I have fallen victim to this week. I am not offering uh, adult content on uh, what's it called? OnlyFans. <laughs> no one's going to want to pay for that. <laughs> That's not what I heard. Oh, you can get it from the blue sky. Just saying you get an invite. Please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a star rating and written review because that helps others to find the show. You can also follow the entire network's podcast with our master feed by searching BQN. At this time, we would like to thank our associate producers, Mahendran Radhakrishnan and Tim Cooper. A special thanks to Graham Kelly for our opening and closing music and our very own Mark White for our artwork every week. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. We will add you to the Hivemind Facebook group so you can enjoy It's Green, Amy's Math Moments, and other network perks. With a monthly subscription of $5 or more, you can join our meetings on the Hivemind Roundtable discussion on the second Saturday of each month. Visit patreon.com forward slash BQN to get all the details and watch your messages. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us as we search out all good things. <laughs>